I would rather live through untold hardships to reach home in the end and see that happy day than come straight back and die at my own hearth as Agamemnon died by the wiles of his wife and Agathus. A deal. Neil, excited to be here for another episode of Made You Think. Excited to be here. Yeah, even though one of us read an audiobook. <laughs> no, he didn't read. Let's he didn't read. read. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I barely even listen to it. <laughs> so I listened to the audiobook version of Homer's epic Odyssey. I figured it would actually be nice to uh, do the real thing, the way the ancients listened to the story. Except my narrator was Sir Ian McKellen. It's actually pretty, pretty badass. Yeah. Badass. Narrator. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're just giving you a hard time. It was really cool. I mean, his voice was just so good. The he has some of an the amazing st- voice. Yeah, some of the struggle I felt pushing through the Iliad. This was a breeze by comparison. It was like actually, for the most part, very enjoyable. Well, yeah, it was a breeze leaving the book open in the corner of your room for a few <laughs> hours. And then, I knew- <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, the pages oh. are turning. I'm ready. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, no, I did think that the story was easier too than the Iliad. Like, it was, there's something about the story yeah. being like about a person that just makes it easier to, to sort of engage with it than like the Iliad is almost like a history book, of course, with characters and stuff, but it is more like, here's what happened, and like, this is what this person said, and like, this is what this person did. And like, the Odyssey is like, hey, this is about this guy's journey. And it's just like a story about a person. And I don't know. I felt the same way, even though I did not cheat and do the audiobook. I still, you know, thought it was it was easier. <laughs> Definitely yeah, it's it's just a better story. Right. Which yeah. which is interesting because it's I mean, it's by the same author, right? But supposedly, right? Like they're they're both Homeric poems. So, like, why does the Odyssey have such a better narrative structure? Like, it's not just that it's more interesting or whatever. Like, it has a really clear, like, narrative to it, whereas the Iliad feels like it kind of meanders and goes in circles for most of the story. Yeah. Do they know when Definitely. these were written down? Like, was it. I, I was just thinking that. I don't. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if we have that information. Something I was skimming the Wikipedia article before we got on the call, and uh, it was saying that like un- during antiquity, Homer's authorship was not questioned, but in the modern era, it has been. So I wonder if hmm. like it's just been massaged with time. But it, I mean, obviously, they don't have any ideas as to who or or what. But it did feel it felt sufficiently different that if somebody had just told me someone had borrowed the characters and written another story with the same names, yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of like it, it, almost a similar vein to the Socratic dialogues because there's there's the four like death of Socrates dialogues, right? And then there's all of the other ones that Plato created that read kind of similar but were not actually things that happened in Socrates' life. He's just like being used as a character by Plato. And so you could kind of imagine maybe there was a similar thing here where like 
you know, maybe the Iliad was the one that Homer told. And then like he did some of the Odyssey and then somebody else came along and it was like, oh, in the style of a Homeric epic. Right. And like mm-hmm. helped massage it into this narrative structure or he just got better. I don't know. Right. Like <laughs> maybe, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, what, what's, what's the Eminem album where on the first song he's like, like, yo, sorry, the last album was shit, but this one's better. <laughs> yeah. like, let's go. All right. Like, you can, <laughs> you can, yeah. Homer sitting around the fire. He's like, all right, guys, the, the Iliad was kind of just like a, a total mess, but yeah. this one slaps like <laughs> ready. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I could definitely see. I could see something like that. It could be like, I don't know, it's almost like leverage in the sense that he just got, I don't know if the Iliad, I think the Iliad must have come first, right? Like it had to be before this. If it came first, it it's feels like, like he, it must have, right? He parlayed, parlayed some of the fame and profits into getting like a team, like a little writer's room for, for uh, the Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, you can afford an editor now. <laughs> He just has like a team of writers. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it could also be to your point that he just could have just gotten better too. Like that's the other, yeah. the other thing is like, yeah. Cause also the, the, the cool thing with an oral story, if you think about it is he would get real time feedback as people like, are, are people like walking away or like, are people like falling asleep? Like, you know, are they actually interested in what he, in the part of the story? And then he's using that in V2. It's a little bit of a second iteration. Of, of his stories and he's like all right i need more action i need more sex i need more violence like i need characters like this is this is these are the only parts yeah, that people he, actually care about <laughs> he couldn't get the movie deal for the iliad yep. so he knew he had to like spice it up a little yep yeah I'm, I'm surprised there hasn't been like a good odyssey movie or tv series you know it's like do we really need to remake batman for the fifth time there are other good stories Hey, who knows? Maybe someone will buy the movie rights to this episode. <laughs> There's like one old, really terrible movie, yeah. like, and, and then nothing else. Uh, now I think you missed a pretty good joke by Neil there. <laughs> it's okay. Oh, I'm not going to repeat it. <laughs> I'm not going to repeat it. You can go back and listen. Yeah. You <laughs> no, listen but Nat, to, to your point, <laughs> Nat, to your point, though, like 300 was, was a huge movie. I mean, I feel you could make something similar for the Odyssey. Sure. Like, yeah. yeah. 300 felt like the Iliad. Well, actually, yeah, that's the right way to put it because it was worse than the Iliad. Uh, <laughs> but I have. <laughs> well, the, 300 is a style where it's mostly just like meandering fight scenes in the middle. Yeah. 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 The, yeah. the, the, the other reason I could believe that these have different authors or like a collection of authors is uh, the Iliad felt more like there were like lessons and takeaways. Like there's a moral to this story and there was some in the Odyssey, but the Odyssey was like about the story. The Odyssey was like, Hey, like this is just like a really cool story. Um, More story driven. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I, I didn't have as many tangible takeaways. And also I walked away really feeling like I was mixed on Odysseus. I was like, he's a very interesting choice of hero. Is he supposed to be an anti-hero? Well, I think that's sort of the the scholarly debate, right? Like, is he supposed to be a good guy or is he kind of a, like, trickster, like, Loki character, right? Like, I I don't think it's totally clear who he's supposed to be. And it probably depends on the cultural context that you read it in, right? Like, 
and, and probably even reading at different points in time and history and whatever, right? Like you, you would see his actions differently, but he, like to me, he definitely feels like a kind of annoying, like shitty dude who like happens to get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there's just sort of like, it's like, uh, it's like, like, just just shut up, right? Just stop talking. (laughs) All he had to do was sail away from the Cyclops. Everything would be fine. Like we could have wrapped this up in 20 pages. (laughs) One of the things I saw in the Wikipedia article that I was skimming, the one part of this book that I did read, is that in Dante's Inferno? <laughs> thanks. <laughs> in Dante's Inferno, uh, Odysseus is in the eighth circle of hell. And he's there for what is it called? What's the eighth circle? Yeah, like deceiving and treachery, yeah. right? Deception and treachery. Yeah, I, I toss this note in too because the, the other interesting tidbit of that is that Virgil is the guide in the Inferno, and he's the one who wrote the Aeneid which is like the next great ancient epic after the Homeric ones. And uh, so there's kind of, and, and like Vir, it's interesting because like Virgil had some like prophecy in one of his poems or something that there would be a like great birth that would usher in a new era for mankind and all this stuff. And he was like writing it in a hundred BC and so Virgil's been kind of adopted by Christianity as a like mm. pre-Christ prophet, and uh, that and that's sort of why Dante picked him as the guide. But then it's interesting because by having like Odysseus be in hell, there's like this. It's almost like creating a tension of like, okay, pre-Virgil Romans were like bad people or Greeks, I guess, were, were bad people who, you know, were, were sinners and deceivers and whatnot. And then like once, you know, Christ came and saved all of them, like then people like start getting into heaven. But it, it it's kind of like, okay, it was like, because Eighth Circle of Hell is, you know, pretty gnarly shit, right? Like did Odysseus really need to be there? <laughs> but it's almost like this political, like Christian political statement about pre-New uh, Testament like stories, right? Because like even looking at our list, there's surprisingly few of them, right? There aren't many like epic ancient characters from before year zero. There's nothing quite as strong of a statement as like literally putting someone's hero in hell. Yeah. yeah. And then like yeah. so they're, they're sort of like deciding that argument. They're like, no, 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 he's an anti-hero, guys. Like, come on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Should we do a quick overview of I think that's probably a good idea. Yeah. That's yeah, just story so. overview. Yeah, and the cool. Oh, the one other thing before we even dive into that is like where this book even begins is like it like skips from the end of the Iliad to where this book starts, where it's like you don't actually get the ending of the Trojan War. It's like already years later at this point. Yeah, and like yeah. Well, and and that was the other thing that I thought was interesting about this compared to the Iliad is the Iliad has a very simple narrative structure. It's just linear. This happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Whereas Odyssey starts like 90% through the story. And then it goes forward like 5% and then does flashbacks for the first, you know, zero to 90% and then catches up to the present and then finishes, which 
I don't know, right? Like in, in our sort of like default superior to history stance that I feel like we're all inclined towards, you know, I, that to me seems like it must be a clever, like recent narrative invention. And it's like, oh no, that, that, that's really, really old. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, well, I'm like, aware that, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I can imagine the pure retrospective, right? Here's everything that happened up until now. And here's where the story ends. And I can imagine though, this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. But that style of starting at like 90% and then catching the audience up and then finishing the story, like that feels very creative and it's so different from what you get in, in the Iliad structure. I just as a remark on the story, the flashback, like all the exciting things happen in the flashback. So but because it's a flashback, you, you kind of know he survives. Uh, and that frustrated me because that was like, of all the narrative pieces, the, the three main, I would say, like the whole Iliad, the flashback, and then the parts of the Odyssey that happened in real time. <clears throat> the flashback was the most exciting pieces. That's where all like the really right. epic stuff happened. And yeah. to, to have listened to that in real time would have been uh, a lot of fun. Just be like, how are they going to get out of this? Yeah, I guess. And then the way that they did the flashbacks, too, where it was always like he's telling the story to somebody else. And so the other thing you can also imagine is like, is he exaggerating a little bit right for other people? It's like it's like, no, I didn't I didn't sleep with her for seven years because I wanted to. I did it because I was forced to. Like, like there's like some of that, too, where it's just like, is he just telling a story at this point? Right. Of like how he got out of, you know, it's it's like, who knows? It's his word, right, at this point. You you have multiple layers of, like, questionable reliability of the narrator. Yeah. Because it's not, you know, there's whatever actually happened to Odysseus, and then there's Homer's dramatization of it, and then there's the character Odysseus in Homer's story who is also telling a story which, you know, we can probably assume some additional level of embellishment on, right? It kind of adds these, these like extra layers where you, you do start to say like, oh, okay, you know, like, is, it, is this all just made up? Or like, did, did he just like get drunk and lost for seven years? <laughs> how, how, where, where do we like draw the line on some of this stuff? Well, and then, and then some of the times when he's doing the flashbacks, like when he was telling the Phoenician king about like what happened, it's like he definitely has an incentive to make himself sound as epic as possible because he needs help. He needs help like getting home. So he's like yeah. trying to make it be like, oh, look how much misfortune has like struck me over these years. Like all these, I have the worst luck ever. Like I really need help. And like he's trying to almost plead his case by telling the story a little bit. So totally. yeah. All right. Should we give a little story arc? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty straightforward story. I mean, minus the fact that it jumps from present to past, back to present, back to past. But yeah, basically uh, the Odyssey, and I guess in one sentence, go ahead. I, I mean, in, in one sentence, it's just his journey home from the Trojan War, and all the yeah. the the adventures and like misfortunes and mishaps he has along the way. Yeah, and you know we were talking about this a little bit earlier, but it's kind of this question of. Like a deal, you mentioned this, right? It's like, what what was the point of this? Like, it's way more story driven than it felt like the Iliad was. And the Iliad might have been more lesson driven. I I kind of felt like there was still a lot of lesson, like or 
there were important lessons in a lot of this because aside for along with the anti-hero stuff there's also this common recurring theme of him just ignoring what the gods tell him to do or ignoring like the gods advice and that's always when the bad stuff happens and it kind of felt like uh, you can you can look at a lot of his story as like oh this guy thought he was smarter than the gods because he's like clever Odysseus and like he's gonna do it his own way and figure it out and then basically he just got like tossed around in the ocean for 20 years because he wouldn't like do what they told him to do and then as soon as he like listens to athena he like gets home in three days right it yeah. <laughs> like it turns around really quickly at that point so it, it i think to the extent that there is that kind of like overarching lesson in the way there was with the iliad and achilles rage is kind of this theme of like don't assume you know better right like don't mm, don't try to be too clever point. It'll, it'll come back and bite you. Yeah. It's actually a really good point. Actually, yeah. And like, yeah, yeah it, it's, it's like to the, it, it's, I guess, kind of like the point of like the secondary point to what you just said is also like obeying the gods in a way, like not thinking you're smarter than them and just like, yeah, yeah. making sure that you're aligned with what they're, they're doing because they're way more powerful than you and, if you follow them, you know, what you want to happen will happen really quickly. If you don't, you're going to be lost at sea for many years. There was, I feel like this was in our like crypto libertarian governance type series, but one of the trends that ebbs and flows with the ages, maybe this is in fourth turning or something is this like cycle between kind of like respect for the wisdom of elders and established policy versus you know it's like the the default of respect versus disrespect right it's kind of like chesterson's fence if you're like walking through the woods and you see a fence that doesn't seem to be doing anything Mm. do you just automatically remove it for being a waste or do you figure out why the fence is there first before you remove it it's kind of like that there's a little bit of that alternation and like throughout time and a story like this could be good for trying to instill the lesson of like, no, 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 no. Like if you see a fence, you leave it there until you're really sure like why it was built. And it kind of feels like that that was a little bit of that overarching lesson was you could have this incredible success by being clever at Troy, right? Because that's kind of where it's picking up is like they just won the Trojan War because of Odysseus and like because he was so smart. And then it's like, a little bit of that like Icarus energy too, right? Now you're relying on that too much and no, you do need to respect tradition or older wisdom or whatever because even if you're right once doesn't mean you're going to be right all the time. How do you guys reconcile? So there's listen to the gods such that your life will go well and you don't get whipped around at sea like Odysseus. And then there's also the gods are frequently fighting each other and completely at odds and you sort of need like a god on your side but you don't want too many god enemies like (laughs) that to me my takeaway from that was like the world is so confusing that the only way to make it make sense is to assume that there are conflicts that you can't even be privy to among the gods and you're just like their pawns and then you just have to guess whether you're acting in harmony with them which there were more plot points to support that in the Iliad when like Zeus was, you know, yeah. tricking them into going to war and answering specific prayers, but misleading others. There were more plot points to reinforce that in the Iliad than in the Odyssey. Uh, but I'm curious if you guys consider that like reconciling those two things. No, it's a good question. 
it's a lot easier with the like Hebrew or Christian God. You know, there's like <laughs> no, not as much infighting, like fairly clear edicts. Right? Yeah. Although that raises its own questions too. Mm-hmm. Then, right? It's like, are is everything happening is like the will of God in that scenario, right? Whereas in this case, it like you you kind of bypass that question of like, why does, if God exists, like why do bad things happen to good people? Right. Cause like with a Christian God, it's like, or, or mm. with like the Hebrew Christian God, it's like, well, if you obey me, like good things happen. And then you're like, well, why do bad things happen then if somebody didn't do something bad? Like it's not necessarily as direct. Whereas, well, it brings up that question, I should say. Whereas with the Greek gods, it's more like you're a good person. Something bad happened to you. Well, it's cause Zeus and Poseidon are having an argument and like, you're just part of that now <laughs> it kind of lets like fate and uh and luck play more of a role i feel or like makes an explanation for yeah. that more than the uh hebrew or christian god yeah it, it's more than random it's at least there's a divine plan and to you it appears yeah. as luck yeah or you're helpless to do anything about it you're just like part of it yeah you're part of, and it also yeah. makes you feel bigger than you like when you think about like meaning, which we've obviously talked about on previous uh, episodes, it kind of creates that meaning because it's like, oh, you're part of this divine like play or, or battle, essentially. Like you, you do have a role in this thing between like you know these mm-hmm. gods. You're you're playing a small part in it, but obviously it's still meaningful because you're part of it. In terms of like the values that get like embedded into the story, I, I also find it interesting what the story just chooses to focus on and glorify and what's entirely missing. Like the fact that the gods have basically no qualms about like people butchering one another. And instead they're like just involved in the minutia of it, I think says a lot about like just the total omission of any prospect of peace. It's like actually no vengeance and glory in war. And then like glory to the heroes of war and the odyssey. Uh, that, that, That also suggests a lot about, the time at least. Well, it, kind of as we're talking about this and these themes, it reminds me of the like bicameral mind discussion from the last episode and how thinking of the gods, not as not necessarily as like deities in the clouds, but as our like intuition and in our mind, like having a conversation with itself and when you frame it like that, then the Odyssey could also be portrayed as this like argument against like trying to go or not distrusting your instincts too much. Hmm. Right. It's like, Oh, if if you have these, if you have these like spooky gut feelings about what you should do in a situation, don't try to outthink it because that will lead to disaster, right? Like trust your gut, trust that like spooky sense in your brain about what you should do. And like things will work out better. That wasn't in my notes. I hadn't thought about it before, but just as we're kind of talking about it and like, you know, how do you reconcile taking advice from the gods with the gods always seeming to be at odds and fighting with each other and whatnot like that, that could be another way to look at it is don't, don't try to like outthink your gut feelings Right, like, because I, Neil, I know you and I have talked about this doing client work and like doing agency work where everybody's had the experience of talking to a potential client and having a gut feeling of like, you know, this person's going to be a 
bitch and a half to work with. Like, I probably shouldn't take this deal. It's like, oh, but it's a lot of money. Like, yeah. oh, like it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's never fine. <laughs> it's, it's always a terrible decision. Yep. Right? That's your that's rational like, brain saying like the, but it's a lot of money thing. That's your rational brain telling exactly. you that. Yep. That's a much less exciting version of being Calypso's sex slave for seven years. <laughs> it's like, don't listen to your intuition. Just- <laughs> Yeah, so I guess what you're saying is like Athena is like a representation of his intuition, essentially. And it's like if he just followed yeah, that, just got them right. Yep. So yeah, it kind of like makes sense to personify that part of your brain that way. The deal looks like he's going to say something really interesting, which is why uh, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I was debating. I got, got a deal. I got to stop making and put his face in his hands <laughs> once already. So I, my job for the podcast is done. <laughs> I gotta stop making faces. I think once an episode, there's like a pause because I was thinking something, and everyone's like, "All right, he's gonna say something," and I'm like, oh, "No, I got nothing." <laughs> the thought I was having was completely unrelated, but it was if we're open to making some plot spoilers, the way oh, yeah. things yeah. resolve. Spoil this plot. This story's been around for a while. I think if people don't know, <laughs> look, I, the book just came out. I don't Spoiler. want anyone to. You the know. book just came out. <laughs> Exactly. Third times bestseller. <laughs> uh, I, for the life of me, could not understand why Odysseus returned home as in disguise. And yeah, why I didn't he chose get that to either. observe. Let's talk about that. This is such a fucking weird plot point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, you haven't seen your son for 20 years since they're a baby, and the first thing you do is put on a disguise and mess with him. Like, yeah. What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> And it's always like he he dresses up like a beggar. He pretends to be somebody else. He tells some story. And then the person he's lying to gets sad because they're like, oh, you mentioned Odysseus, who I miss. And then he's like, oh, seeing you sad makes me sad. Let me tell you I'm Odysseus. And it's like, no, dummy. Like, you've been gone 20 years, but you had to see it to believe it. Like, it's like two pages talking about how great Odysseus is, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> when, I think this is when he meets Telemachus. He's like, oh, if I were your father, I would rush into the house and slay <laughs> all the suitors and save you and your... But alas, I am just a poor... Be- it's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> like, after all things... So he goes home, he meets his son, he goes back and meets, like, the old nurse who took care of him, he goes back, he meets his wife, everyone knows who he is, he kills a hundred dudes hitting on his wife, and the <laughs> final chapter of the book is he wakes up, he's like, hey, yeah. and the way the book says it is like, hey, I have to go see my dad, but really, he's like, hey, I have to go fuck with my dad before we wrap up this book, I have to go tell him I'm a beggar too. I was like, what? Like, come on. You already killed all your enemies, got your wife and kid back, and now you got to go to your old father and also play a trick on that guy too. <laughs> yeah, there were there were definitely some comedic elements though to this. I wonder if that was like meant to be funny to the audience, like because there were even like other parts where Odysseus was talking to the swineherd guy, like the the pig farmer, and was like uh, talking about how like oh I promise like he's coming back like all these things are going to happen. Uh, yeah, I'm going to swear yeah. an oath. And then the guy is like, basically just like, it's okay. I'll release you from the oath that you just made. Cause there's no way that's going to happen. So <laughs> let's just move on to happier thoughts. <laughs> and it's like the audience knows he's talking to Odysseus, which is what makes it funny. And so like, I wonder if yeah, maybe yeah. part of it was like meant to be entertaining that way. 
It's like a dramedy. Yeah, it was like a comedic play of some sort, right? Yeah. Well, it, it's yeah. kind of like going back to Homer stepping up his narrative elements, right? Like adding comedic relief is exactly. kind of nice because there's not really, I don't think there's any funny parts in the Iliad that I can remember. I couldn't remember anything either. Like, there's some cool speeches, but yeah, not funny. There's a lot of great, interesting pieces, but I can't remember any part of it being funny. But yeah, parts of yeah. this like are... It almost like slapsticky, right? Yeah. Although I, I wonder to, you know, I keep, I kept having this question while I was reading it, where for me, it's so hard to imagine not recognizing your husband or wife, right? Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of taken for granted where it's like, oh, you, you rub some dirt on his face and wore ragged clothes and his wife had no idea who he was. I mean, maybe, it, maybe that would happen after 20 years, right? Like that's a long time. Hey, we're we're sort of spoiled because we have photos, right? They didn't have photos back then. Mm. They mm. even a beautiful, beautiful tile mosaic. Like you can really only capture so many details of someone's face. So, like maybe you did just forget what your spouse and kids looked like. I, it, it's hard to imagine that, right? Yeah. But I guess it's I mean possible. the kid. The kid makes more sense to me because he was so young. That yeah, part yeah. makes sense where it's like, oh, I wouldn't recognize him because I saw him when he was two and now he's like 22 or whatever. So it's like... But Dizzy's just not recognizing him, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah. Like that seemed odd. But eh, maybe, right? Like, it's but they time. always... They also made it... They also made it like in certain parts where it's like Athena hid Odysseus from like being able to be recognized. So it's also some of it's mm, like... Right. They tried to add a little bit stuff of like... Going on. Yeah, yeah, but I agree yeah. that that part was like hard for me to imagine myself. I, I can imagine it because, like, so when I was, I think, eleven, my grandfather passed away, and we always have photos of him. But I've never actually seen—I hadn't seen a video of him until last year. So at that point, it had been like, what, I don't know, fifteen or sixteen years since he passed away. And I just, when his voice came on the video, it was because the photos I've reinforced the memory of his face, but I've never heard his voice since he passed. And it just like, I, it was foreign. It was, it was familiar once I like got used to it, but if there were, I could have not conjured it uh, for the life of me. So I wonder if the same would be the case without photographs as well, because my thought reading the book and the reason the grandfather story came to mind was I was like, okay, you could disguise yourself like with mud and clothes and long hair and so on, but the voice should give it away. But then the only example from my own life, uh, that was just total blank. Yeah. I do like that Argus scene so much for this, though. Like, one, because it showed that we've just always loved dogs. Uh, <laughs> and two, it's kind of this, like, really beautiful. It's like the only beautiful yeah. reunification story in the whole book. Like, all the other reunifications, it's Odysseus <laughs> messing with people. Although, honestly, like... I guess the, the the dog one is kind of sad too because the dog like recognizes him and is all excited and Odysseus is like, well, I can't pet you because then everybody will know. And so the dog just like looks at him and gets all excited and then dies. It's like, this is not really a happy story at all. But it it is nice that like you get that taste of we've always had that relationship with animals. Like I, I thought that was more of a modern thing, like treating them mm. kind of like kids are like family and that they were that and that they used to be more util like utility animals right for hunting or not not like cute household uh like friends but you did kind of get that sense of like oh it was sad that this dog was like left outside and ignored because it should be 
you know, inside and getting loved and attention and all of that. Uh, and it was like, you know, excited to see him and remembered and had waited for him for 20 years, which like no dog lives 20 years. It's pretty rare. So that it's like, okay, is that a homeric embellishment? Do dogs used to live longer? Right. Mm. Um, seed oils. Right. It's funny. It's, it's the, the seed only... oils in their diet. Yes. Man. <laughs> seed oils. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it's kind of sweet. It's like it, it's the only character that recognizes him. Everybody else doesn't. Yeah, no, I thought that was nice too. And the other, the thing with the dogs part that's interesting is I wonder if it was a because none of the other characters have dogs, right? So I wonder if it's also partially like a royalty type thing where it's like, hey, we have such a surplus, we can afford to keep this animal as just a pure pet, not as like for any particular purpose. Mm. Did the farmer have dogs? I feel like the pig farmer had some kind of. I could be like making that up. I just I, it. It would be odd that he's the only dog in the book, or maybe they just didn't talk about it. But I I know people have been using dogs for purposes for a long, long time. It's well, just this I, was like a. Pet. I did a, This one was truly like a pet. So th- this was the other thing that I was kind of surprised to learn, like outside of the Odyssey, is I thought that like little dogs, like Pepper and Tahoe, were a more modern thing. Like they apparently had little like house dogs back in ancient Greece and Rome era, and mm. there so there were like house there were like house fluffy like they had Maltese's and stuff that would just like hang out in the house and like be cute and cuddle with you, and then they had working dogs, and there were like always there was always this distinction between the like cute fluffy house dogs and the the outdoor work dogs, uh, wow. which I which I was surprised by I didn't think that that was a thing until more recently, but I guess we've always had that kind of dual relationship with, with dogs, which is kind of sweet, right? Yeah. It's like, it, it's funny to imagine, you know, like Alexander the great with a little Maltese following him around, like cuddling him at night. Right. But I like that image. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me happy. <laughs> uh, I just Googled history of the domestication of the dog and listen to this. This is pretty cool. The earliest remains generally accepted to be accepted to be those of a domesticated dog were discovered in Germany. The dog was dated to 14,223 years ago wow. and was found wow. buried together with a man and a woman. Wow. Wow. That's so yeah, cool. I, I mean, that could be coincidence, but it sounds really adorable to me. Yeah. That's the kind of thing we love on this show. At yeah. least <laughs> one, if not two of those skeletons were probably <laughs> not dead at the time of burial or something. <laughs> like if they're, if they're buried together, like what are the odds they all died at the same time? It's like, yeah, I don't know. Could have been attacked or could have just been like a, a, a burial or, site where you like, add, yes, that's uh, what I was thinking. Like a family was, site. Yeah. Like a family site. Yeah. Well, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Adil was showing off his history of civilization on his bookshelf back there. And uh, the the story of Will Durant, the author, and his wife Ariel's death is actually very sweet because, like, he got sick, and then he went to the he got put in a hospital because he was very ill, and then Ariel basically like stopped eating because she was so like sad, and uh, she ended up dying, and then they called him to tell him that she died and as soon as he heard he died oh, they wow. like both died at the exact same t- it's like like wow. and they were both like 91 or 92 and they had worked together for like their whole careers and lives like it's a really really sweet kind of story it's like that's that's a good way to go right that's a yeah. great way like, to go wow 
Yeah. Yeah, they they were just like they don't oh, they didn't want to be without I had each no other. Idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I went I went down a brief like Will Durant biography rabbit hole because I mean the guy was to talk about prolific like what yeah. a incredible like writer of history and everything he's I mean everything is supposed to be good everything I've read has been good and everything I have yeah. read is supposed to be really famous what's the one to yeah, start October. with if you haven't I haven't I haven't actually read any of Will Durant is it the so lessons, lessons of history, of history one? first yeah 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 I think I own that That's I just haven't and opened easiest. it up yeah it's very good it's very quick it's 200 pages but there's just so much packed in there yeah well yeah and they, they wrote it when they were like 80 right so they, they spent seven or they spent 60 years summarizing like all of history into these massive 10,000 word tomes and then yeah. like okay we're going to condense all of that into a 200 page book right yeah <laughs> it's pretty badass it's pretty badass yeah oh yeah we have in our notes the guest thing the, that was really interesting oh, yeah. to see just like how people would treat just random visitors. And it was, if you think about it, it's like a really high trust society. If people are like doing that, I guess it would be different though. I mean, if you were living, if you're living on like a coast, if you're living on the coast of a Greek Island, how many unknown guests would you get? Probably a lot. It sounds like the norms were, yeah, it sounds like the norms were specifically for unknown guests. Yeah. But like you, you would know everybody in your, you know, town, city, whatever, probably. Yeah. But like, how often would an unknown ship pull up with some new person, right? Like, I, I'm just trying to compare that number to like, imagine if I invited in every person who drove by my house in East Austin, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. 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 <laughs> it was probably a little bit easier to be that generous back then. <laughs> Definitely. I also think there was, yeah. in, in every case of someone being a guest in the book, they were in like dire need. They were like, I've come a long way. Mm. I have nothing. You're the only person around. I mean, I don't know if the guest rules only apply in extreme situations like that, but uh, because there, were, it's, there was quite a bit there. It was like, you have to give like a warm welcome, a warm meal, and some form of like entertainment, right? It's like, it can't just be like, hey, here's some food and shelter. It's like, they sit down yeah, and like they talk. show and stuff. Yeah. Here's Netflix. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Here's the Wi-Fi password. Yeah. <laughs> I get <laughs> But yeah, but you had, no, you're right though. It's like this whole experience. And also yeah. they didn't really know that he was like in some of the cases, at least they didn't really know that he was Odysseus. And so it's like, he's truly just like this guy. Like again, going back to like the pig farmer, like he had no idea this is Odysseus. He's just like, oh, this is a guy who's like, here, let's kill a boar for him and hang out. Yeah, I do think there's a little bit like of uh, America in particular. I think is a bit more mistrustful of like the stranger, yeah. at least like in the time that we're living now. But like when I think about yeah. you know. As a kid, for like you know, three years, we lived in Cyprus. We weren't inviting random people into our house; like it wasn't that extreme. But we were definitely way more open with like weak links and like um, what I could call like a semi-random person, and like inviting them in mm. and giving them food and being very like stuff that I don't think we would do that here. Um, I think it's still think true here, here, and it felt normal there. No. I think it's still true here among like immigrant communities. Like I know, like Indian people mm. do this all the time, where it's like some friend of a friend of a friend is like 
coming to the US for something or like their kid goes to college here and they don't know anybody and it's like you're the person who's like helping them out and there's no like blood relation it's just like they happen to be from like the same town as your like great grandfather or something and that's like the only connection yeah so i think there's still like some of that yeah to adil's point it's a smaller community so you can be right like more welcoming so yeah, you, you know, if if I'm I'm just like a boring, you know, sixth generation American or whatever, so I can't like be welcoming to all 330 million people. <laughs> that would get like pretty tiring. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's like if you're if you're a part of a smaller religious or ethnic community or whatnot, right? There's like both it's a like, like special yeah. shared history yeah. and culture that you're not going to get with most people, and you probably like appreciate having somebody else to share some of that with. Yeah, exactly. Like so, I think there's some of that. By necessity, almost. Yeah. What were you gonna say? Dale? Earlier, we were just earlier we were discussing the tie between like the Iliad and three hundred, which I still think is like a pretty apt comparison. This, the Odyssey, to me felt like. Have you guys read The Hobbit? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah that <laughs> was the really... mental picture <laughs> I had quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I actually yeah, could see that. I hadn't thought right. about that at all, but yeah, I, <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. It's just like this <laughs> string of seemingly unrelated adventures. And like, the yeah. Hobbit also doesn't have like some noble cause. He's just like, yeah, this dragon has some gold. Let's go get some gold. And all this other stuff happens along the way. But thematically, they, they had the same vibe. If, they, if this was to be made into a movie, well, the Hobbit movie was pretty bad, so maybe not that. But... <laughs> <laughs> I am surprised though that they haven't tried to make a movie of this. Like it does seem to lend itself it is, to it's odd, right? Yeah. You don't even have to bother buying the rights. Homer's yeah, sitting on Homer's descendants are sitting on the uh playing playing hard with the uh the movie rights here. Yeah, exactly. So it's, <laughs> a, it's it like Michael Jackson owns the rights. It's like the Beatles. Yeah. <laughs> No, but like in terms of like CGI and stuff, I feel like you could do a lot of cool things with like the Cyclops yeah. and like all this, all these totally. like different scenes. I mean, there's it could be a really epic like Marvel level movie. Um, I know. I was going to say, I'm how about instead no of another it. Marvel movie, yeah, you know, like go back and do Greek myths or something. Like, you know, what would be funny though, Net? Like, I feel <laughs> like they would now try it. <laughs> they would try it and be like, "Oh, only nerds go to these movies." <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. If they did hey, an money Odyssey is money, movie, man. <laughs> if exactly if they did well, and Marvel movies are like a lot of nerds go to Marvel movies and they make a lot of money. Yeah. Um, if they did an Odyssey movie, though, they need to promote it on Meiji Think. Like that could be one ad that we actually do. All right, Disney, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happy. I, there's no way Disney is making making a movie that opens with goddess sex slavery and ends with the deaths of 108 <laughs> men i don't know about that <laughs> but i think the ending of the book the killing of all the suitors if i was mm, tasked with yeah. making this palatable to a modern audience i would have to rewrite that i'd be like all right we're not gonna just yeah you'd have to figure out something else there yeah or they would have to do something really bad to justify like total butchery uh, was you know what they would do scene. though they would show they would show something about like the suitors plotting to kill his son or something like that and then him finding out hmm. and like they would make it they would they would definitely portray it in like that way they, that's the only way to spin it in a way that would be like palatable because yeah it does seem like the punishment doesn't match the 
offense, but Wait. at the same time, <laughs> I know how they well, do this. How? <laughs> Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds as Odysseus. That would be incredible. That would be so good. (laughs) That would be perfect. Because then, yeah, you know, he can just like slice through all 108 at the end. And, you know, you sort of expect it. It's like that's the energy (laughs) that you're going for here. (laughs) Wait, that's perfect. (laughs) <laughs> right isn't that great yeah. should we just crowdfund this movie and make it right. like <laughs> yeah. we'll launch a token we'll launch a token <laughs> oh no exactly odysseus coin <laughs> yeah odysseus style odyssey style odyssey odyssey dot xyz it's the url oh. i missed it <laughs> it was fun you know what if this was like a year ago this is a legit possibility like we could have with like you know with that uh, yeah. audience like uh, we could have actually launched this and made this happen we'll wait for the next bull run and some we'll of, some of the ch- go for it yeah, <laughs> some of the chapters as i'm writing them i'm just like i can't fucking believe we were putting money into this shit <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny looking at it in retrospect I'm like trying to explain it seriously and it's like there's no way to seriously explain this like this was just stupid <laughs> I'm closing out some positions just to lock in the losses, and there are some where I have the exact same thought, where I'm like, I bought this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) What was I on? I was looking at at, some of the price charts. Do you guys guys remember Climadel? Yeah. Oh, is that? Yeah, like like the climate, like... It's... Yeah. Yeah. It it hit a billion dollar market cap on day one. (laughs) Well, the environment's saved, so... Yeah, now the environment's... It's like, okay, Coinbase, five years to get to a billion-dollar valuation. It took three guys with a website and some forked code a day. (laughs) This makes sense. (laughs) Nat, you do have, like, the best thing from years ago about what market cap and, like, how much of a shitty metric it is. (laughs) You've been oh, saying yeah, this for years. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you launch you launch a million tokens and you sell one of them for a hundred dollars and you've got a hundred million dollar market cap. Like, yep. <laughs> the market cap of Klima is now twenty two million. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, which uh, super wrecked. <laughs> super wrecked, but also twenty two million is actually a lot. Like, it's actually still, <laughs> yeah, it's still a lot. Of money. <laughs> <laughs> when was their last commit you, on github i mean if you didn't have the decline like, right it's like did you guys see this thing about the founder of bird scooters no no he they 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 took um they took bird public via a spac last year and it like from the ipo to now it's down like 97 percent and I think he was worth like third, like two or three hundred million at the top, and so he bought a twenty-two million dollar mansion in Miami, and now he has to sell it because he's getting margin called because like the value of all of his bird stock is less than the value of the mansion. Oh man! So <laughs> it's fucking brutal. And like, brutal. but uh, to your point, to your point, a deal like. 
Uh, and this is like a Taleb thing too, right? It's like being worth $10 million feels very differently depending on the route you took to get there. If you, yeah, so if you like went, yep. if you were worth 300 million and then you dropped to 10, you probably feel like absolute shit. But if you just like slowly grind up to 10 million from zero, you probably feel ecstatic. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good point. It's like the trend line yet- matters so much yeah. for this stuff. Totally, totally. I have one last Odyssey thing on my list, which is, have either of you read Ulysses by James Joyce? No. no have you read it? Yeah. No, no. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> Wait, uh, hold on. Why are you so surprised? What if I had said yes? I've listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I haven't read it or listened to it. <laughs> no, just like, I mean, we, we joke about the, like... You know the the crazy hard to read books. It's like I've always had the impression that Ulysses is on an even like higher tier than Infinite Jest oh, and wow. like some. Of, I mean that that was my impression. I, I could be wrong about that, but I just didn't realize they were connected. Yeah, it's a, it's like a modern retelling of the Odyssey, I think. But you know, like insane James Joyce style. <laughs> I kind of want to read it. No. It's on my list of. Like, you know, self-flagellation books. <laughs> Is that the next series after <laughs> after the great book series? It's the self-flagellation series. Yeah, it's, it's the have... how smart we are series. We're just yeah. gonna... <laughs> well, you guys did GEB, Infinite Jest, and Atlas Shrugged. You guys have flagellated quite a bit. Yeah, yeah we're already I three mean... down. Inf- uh, to be fair, Atlas Shrugged <laughs> yeah. is not that hard to read. It's not a hard not, read. No, it's just long. I yeah, mean, like she's not a good fiction writer. Like, it's it's not like super, like incredible prose and like obscure references and all of that. It's just long, right? And then like GEB is long, but it's fun and it's like three stories in one. Mm-hmm. So you kind of like get that cool weaving thing. Infinite Jazz is like legitimately hard, but it's also like hilarious. Yeah, so you kind of get that comedic <laughs> relief from it. Like it's really funny, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I've just and so the the other thing that I the other reason the the other thing that makes me skeptical of starting Ulysses is like I've heard a number of people be like, "Oh, Infinite Jest is one of my favorite books," right? Like they they like really love it. I don't think I've ever heard somebody say Ulysses is one of their favorite books, right? Mm, that's like, a good point. I, I've never even met someone who's read Ulysses. <clears throat> so something is funny because they had to read it for Harvard like freshman literature. And she was like, I've turned every page of that book. <laughs> that's that's, that's her, her way of like, I listened to the audiobook. Right? It's like, my eyes looked at every page of you. <laughs> if you want to call that reading it, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I do think, though, that's true for like a lot of books that we like. Honestly, I think I had to read part of the Odyssey and high school and i remembered exactly zero of it because i think that's what i had done yeah i mean there, there's just something different about when you you know have to read it versus like want to read it i i had to yeah. read it at some point too i didn't like it and you know really enjoyed it this time yeah there, there's a terrible daniel tosh joke that i'm just going to text to you guys because <laughs> there, oh there no but you haven't said are, your thing yet <laughs> you haven't said your thing yet I'll in the episode yes. <laughs> <laughs> he got a deal to put his face in his hand some fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
you uh, subscribe <laughs> to our ten dollar a month Patreon, you get yeah. all the jokes that Matt can't make on live audio. <laughs> Dude, for ten dollars, I do have to say though. I, I do have to say though, Nat's like career as a professional troll has been going really well. Like. You have one of the best Twitter accounts, oh. like on Twitter right now, out there. Like, not even if I didn't know you, I would be like, "These are great." <laughs> it's even better that I know you, but right? You know, am I making this up? Like, I feel like Nat has become no. Like, I have top a strong 1% plus one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> strong plus one, and some of them are like subtle. Some, some I'll yes. read once. I'll be like Nat, and I'll be like, "Oh, of course, yeah." <laughs> that's that's, that's see- the needle. Yeah. That's always the, the line you're trying to walk. But I know when I have that reaction, those are the ones where I click in and I will look at the replies. Because that's there's always someone who's like, hold on. Let me explain yeah, this to you. Too seriously. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people I've noticed who just like don't recognize the trolling. Yeah, you see it a few times. Yeah. Really yeah. <laughs> you know. yeah. Then, it, then it's like a fight between the angry people replying and the people who get it who are just liking and laughing. And then there's people who double down on the joke. And then there's people sometimes getting mad at them for like agreeing with your like they, they fully yeah, buy into exactly. the troll. And then there's people disagreeing with them at the same time. It's it's great. Your Twitter account is a destination. Now. Vivek had a good double down. Recommend. You, had, you yeah. had one recently where Vivek doubled down, and it was like I was like on the floor. I forgot what he said though. I'll, I'll dig it up, but it was I don't remember what it was. It was good. I think it's because <laughs> Nat, like historically, Nat has not been a troll. Like even though you have, you've subtly been a troll before, but it's like you've never been an outward like always troll account. So I think like some people who just have been following you or maybe are new to you are just like, oh, this guy's like this intellectual guy. It's like 50-50. Like half of the time yeah. it's it's smart stuff and half of the time I'm just fucking with people. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. How much how much coffee did I have today? <laughs> yeah. Is that the is that the drug that creates the trolling or <laughs> yeah, so, some combination of coffee and alcohol. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> dial in that balance. I feel like I've actually been having this like problem with working on the book is like it's a lot of like it's so it's a lot of writing and it's like very dissatisfying writing because i'm probably like 60 70,000 words in and like can't publish anything right because mm-hmm. you like you know and nothing will get published for 2 years which is like hard right because you're used to getting like little hits of dopamine from getting stuff out there and so it's like okay wake up at 6am write for an hour and a half write more later like get my 2000 words done for the day and then go do other stuff but I feel like that routine has like made it made like the writing a little more lifeless. Like it's a little staler. It's a little drier. It doesn't have that like cheeky, you know, funny, like sarcastic humor that like <laughs> works well for me in like articles and on Twitter and stuff. And so I've actually been thinking like once I finish a first draft, I want to take a few weeks off and then book like uh international round trip flight over like 36 hours or something and just bring a like list of all the chapter headings and then like not sleep and then have a bunch of like caffeine and a steady dose of alcohol and just get like super loopy and rewrite like whatever parts seem interesting in like a very like 
silly whatever style and then merge that with the like yeah. more explanatory style and find like that happy medium because it's like i definitely can't like wake up every day and do a couple shots of tequila and then like work on my book it's not a sustainable <laughs> it's like how do you how do you like summon the right amount of that yeah i love that idea i feel like that would be a lot of fun now you see why like writers get addicted to drugs though like historically a lot of them are like definitely yeah, I mean, yeah. stephen king's autobiography like on writing no i've heard very that, good things, the first half of on writing is it it's really good and the, the first half is like an autobiography of his career as a writer and the second half is writing advice hmm. and in the first half he talks about like how he was a hardcore uh like alcohol and drug addict and he would basically just like wake up get drunk do cocaine write all day like he doesn't remember writing a lot of his early books and he he only stopped because his wife was like hey like i'm taking the kids and leaving and like we're not coming back until you clean this shit up and he talks about like you know he you know has been clean for 20 30 years or whatever like went through 12 step program all of this and like you know got better and he doesn't like explicitly say this but you can kind of you can look at his writing career and all like almost all of his best books happened when he was like a crazy drug riddled, like degenerate. And then he didn't have another hit for like 10, 15 years or something until the stand came out. Like it took him so long to get back into that like energy and headspace. And so it really is, it's like, and he, he says in the book, like, oh, and then I realized, like, I didn't need the drugs, right? Like, they weren't actually making the writing better. And you look at his career and you're like, you kind of did. <laughs> like, not not totally, but, like, they, they clearly helped a little bit, right? But you also can't, like, use, like, that's not a good strategy. It's not good advice, But there is also, yes. like, but, like, it clearly does help in some yeah. weird way. So it's like, what are other ways to, like, access that? Because I, I think a lot of it is just like getting into a, a weird headspace where you're either like more honest or more creative or whatever. And like drugs are the easiest tool to get there. But like, what are other tools? Yeah, there's also how it like plays into your psychology over time, oh, yeah. too, because you you do see this with with athletes and stuff, too. Like um, the one that comes to mind mm. is uh, in the 90s, like especially for a three year stretch. Brett Favre was like the only quarterback or only player, actually, football player to ever win three straight MVPs. And he was just like for three years, like Patrick Mahomes on steroids, basically. Like, I mean, he wasn't on steroids, but he was like the like clearly the best player in the league. Um, went to two Super Bowls those three years. And then the offseason after the third one, I think, he had some kind of like painkiller scandal. And it wasn't even the painkillers. It was like alcohol. That basically you have to go to rehab for. You would think alcohol hurts your performance, so especially for an athlete. So you'd be like, "Oh, he's getting clean. Like this is going to lead to like better things moving forward." And he never won an MVP again. Never went to Super Bowl again. Like just completely, not completely fell off. Like he was still good, but he was not like dominant and confident in like that same way. And it's like you almost want like it's hard to connect the two because especially as an athlete, you would not think alcohol is helping you. But it might be something around like it just put him in a different headspace of like, I don't give a fuck. Like I'm just doing like I'm just, I don't know, fearless or something. And then after that whole like alcohol scare, it just changed him in some way. 
Yeah, I this is why I have a hard time sometimes with the like always have good habits, stay super healthy life advice or whatever. Because like on the one end of it, you have cultures like Italy where they live that's true decently yeah. longer and healthier than they do in the US, but they drink more, they smoke, they have like on all the normal measures, they definitely have unhealthier lifestyles. But there's like so much other stuff that is harder to quantify, I think, like stress and family community and like, you know, beauty and greenery and all of those. That's like one aspect of it. And then there's also this aspect of like every single person I know who like does creative work. They, like the best stuff happens in those two, three, four week benders of like obsessive, unhealthy, crazy focused work. And then a lot of the rest of the time is maintenance or whatever. Right. So it's almost like the those things help for maintaining your like 80% baseline. But then when you need to like do some crazy creative stuff, you almost have to find ways to interrupt that pattern but then how do you do that in a way that's sustainable and isn't just like destroying your body how do you get that like brett Favre, stephen king whatever like oomph without dying killing yourself or you know scaring away different kids right it's like yeah or and this is kind of like the fucked up version of it like maybe maybe you can't right it's like you know maybe you don't get infinite jest without dfw like committing suicide that's a great point right like, that's a great point. I that's sort of a you, you want to believe that you can, but maybe you can't. Yeah, that's a great point. That's like a scary point, but it's yeah. it's really yeah, it's, it's it might uncomfortable. Be true, but it might be true. Yeah, it's it, like could somebody who was like a well-adjusted yeah. adult write that book? I don't think so, actually. Do you get yeah, my beautiful so have- dark fantasy without all the other yeah. Kanye shit? Right? Like, I don't think yep. you do. Yep. Is- Something I've observed in like when I find writing resonant is it's the dis- the descriptions of what's happening is so much more extreme than I would describe myself feeling that same thing. But if it's written in like a less extreme way, then it doesn't feel like I can relate to it. So it's like mm. necessarily when I'm reading fiction, really anything, but especially in fiction, the depictions have to be like 200% saturated. And for certain subject material, I can imagine like, that must be almost impossible to attain if you're like completely, I don't want to say, I don't mean sober in like a literal sense, but like sober, like if you're like at homeostasis the entire time, yeah. like you kind of have to throw things off to be like, okay, now I'm able to describe things 200% saturated. Cause I can even envision it. I can even like have a mental picture of what that looks like. Um, and that's why AI could never take our writing jobs. <laughs> <laughs> Because it can't get drugs. Because it can't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> can't do drugs. <laughs> Once we invent LSD for computers, then we're But until then... <laughs> until then, we're safe. Until then, has to do our will. <laughs> I wonder what an AI version of this podcast would be. <laughs> Go like, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I think is I think this is the artificially intelligent version, right? It's like none of us are Homeric or you know ancient mythology scholars. It's just three three guys babbling about books for twenty minutes, and then whatever else comes to mind. Yeah, <laughs> this is the easiest thing for an AI. <laughs> the AI would be like, "What's the point?" 
why do I need to do this? <laughs> oh, yeah, it just says no. <laughs> I did like the Odyssey. For all the like miscellaneous bones I had to pick with it, and like I feel like a lot of what we were saying were like, why this, why that? This mm-hmm. was like a, it was actually a good book. I could see myself in a few years picking this back up. Like, I don't think I would ever pick up the Iliad again. Um, no. Well, to be Iliad clear, I'd be picking up the mark. Odyssey. Yeah. I'd be picking yeah, up the Odyssey for the first time if I was to do it. <laughs> but yeah, I, I definitely would revisit this one. Because there were just some parts like the siren scene, like all the it, stuff with like the uh, Cyclops and the cave. Like, it was actually like, pretty cool. Yeah. Should we put a pin in it here? Should we wrap up? What are we doing next? Yeah. We're doing Tao Te Ching next, What's right? Tao Te Ching, yeah. Tao Te Ching. Super different. Up. I'm excited. I, lo- I mean, it. it's, you know, and I tried to like make the list more balanced, but we just literally have fewer things from Eastern tradition than Western tradition, at least that I, you know, like found. But I liked Tao Te Ching and Analects of Confucius so much more than most of the Greek and Roman stuff. Like they're great. They're so good. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited. To Some of it probably comes down to translations too. Like, I wonder how many things were mm. in that, those cultures that just never got translated to English or never got popularized or just, I don't know, fell away. Um, but these are so good. Yeah. I've read, I've done, I've read Tao Te Ching before. Um, and it was really good. I also love this project that we're doing. Like each time we, like, I don't know, it just is cool that we're doing these great books and they're all books that like, I feel like you should have read at some point you know or like you should read at some point yeah. but you never like after school like when do you do it and i feel like in school i wasn't mature enough to read these books and yeah, yeah. i mean some of us on this podcast are still not mature enough <laughs> <laughs> some of us on the podcast are still not mature enough to read these books they have to listen to them but yeah it's okay you're forgiven there's <laughs> <laughs> a comment uh, about the, the joke i shared in the chat <laughs> <laughs> Tao Te Ching will also be the first book where it sounds like all of us are discussing it after reading it for at least the second time. Yeah. I yeah, I read so, it first yes. a while ago. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be interesting. Yep. I don't think we've done that before. Yeah. You guys had both read uh one of the crypto ones before. I forget which one. Um Dictator's Handbook. Seeing like a state, maybe? Seeing like a state, yeah. Seeing like a state yeah. I'd read before. Yeah. Seeing. Yeah. Yeah, I've read that twice now. So are we doing Tao Te Ching, Analects, and then Art of War, like back-to-back, next three? Oh, are we doing Art of War? We can do Art of War. Oh, I just assumed. I I haven't actually checked the list in a few weeks. <clears throat> um, Man, I don't even have Art of War on here, but yeah, we should toss that on. We could do Peloponnesian War. Is that what you're thinking of? No, no, I was thinking of the Art of War, the Eastern book. The Art of War, yeah. I mean, we could toss that in. Why not? Yeah. And it's, qu- it's, it's not that long yeah, we, either. Like, I don't think. Yeah. No. Yeah, we could do Art of All War right. and then we could come back for Peloponnesian War and then probably just skip to Oedipus, I think. Cool. Uh, like, I didn't get that much from Prometheus. I'm reading Agamemnon now and it's like, fine. I don't know. Not worth covering. I'll let you know when I finish it, but I, I feel like I've kind of hit a rut with them because the, mm. like, Tati Chicken Analex were so good and then Peloponnesian War got, like, kind of exhausting and then Prometheus was kind of like, I, I didn't love it, and so now I've like taken forever on Agamemnon. I need like another banger. Maybe we'll just skip ahead and reread the Last Days of Socrates or the Bhagavad Gita because I know I like those. But 
Matt, you're our brave frontiersman. You're just telling yeah, us what's good and what's not good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, speak, speaking of books and frontiersmen, uh, if you want another book to not read, but listen to, because I only listen to it, there's this book, the I think it's called The Frontiersman or The Frontier by David McCullough. Ooh. And it's about... Well, the Pioneers. The like, Pioneers, I think. Pioneers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. The Pioneers. <laughs> Um, have you read it, Neil? Yeah, I read it like a couple years back. Yeah, it's really good. It's re- so fun, like it's so wild. I just, and it, it made me the reason I the reason I brought it up is it made me think about our like you know crypto statehood whatever episode or episodes and talk about that topic because in the pioneers they're like venturing west into Ohio and going up the Ohio River and the Mississippi and like settling towns and. We talked today about like, oh, we're going to go like start a new town or whatever. And listen to these guys who like actually started new towns. But like that meant going somewhere on a river and building five log cabins. And then you were done. <laughs> right? Like there's, a, there's no sewage system to figure out. There's no electricity. Right? You, you go to night every or you go to bed every night, like hoping that you don't get murdered by uh, Indians in like your sleep. Right? Like it's, it's, it's wild. It's so it's a fantastic like series of stories. Like, I, I definitely lost chunks of it from dazing off and such, but it it's pretty badass. And it, like also in the in the corpus of things that make me feel like a very soft, like weak, flabby male. It's like, oh man, <laughs> like, this guy's just like yeah. their families into wagons and heading out into completely unmapped and unknown territory. And like, we're gonna build a city, you know, with our friends. <laughs> like, I hope it goes well. So dope. Yeah, it never does. And truly, <laughs> and truly, like life or death, right? Like, I mean, that's like, yeah. I mean, yep. we're, we're like, oh wow, we're so adventurous for, I don't know, buying a JPEG. But uh, <laughs> you know, these guys were like straight up camping out in like enemy territory because it's also hard for us to remember because I think we don't learn that much about this period. I feel like in school or growing up of like how the West was actually, uh, I guess, settled by. Americans and it's like that was other people's territory in the sense that they was they weren't just handing it over like it was violent. Oh no, yeah, it, it, it was wasn't dangerous. Just like nice yeah. Thanksgiving story where we like invited all the American Indians over for dinner and shared a turkey, and then they were like, "Yeah, here, take our land. That's fine." Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. How yeah, there were like raids, but, you and know, scalpings, and like all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Oh God. Even just like you know, imagine like sickness and stuff, right? Like these these people are traveling west, and you know, in the in the couple of months to like find and settle their new town, they like lose half their kids to like illness and shit, right? And, yeah, I remember that part. Yeah, you know, and it's talked about in a sad, but also like not nonchalant, but weirdly like accepting almost, right? It's sort of like, oh, you know, this is kind of what happens, right? Like. I just it, reading stuff like that and seeing the psychology of people at these other times in history, I just find so wild. It's so hard to imagine being in that headspace. How does he assemble the stories? Like, is he? It, so this is the one thing I don't love about it. A deal is it takes place over like 40 or 50 years. And so it, it follows like a few family threads, but it breaks off into a lot of like tangents and other stories and stuff. So I, I had a harder time sticking with it, at least on audio, because it felt mm. like it wove in so many different directions. 
it centers around uh gosh i can't even remember this name off the top of my head but like the one guy who sort of like led the, like the initial expedition like raised all the money from the early congress and like got the first like ohio constitution like uh, this is kind of interesting is like you know talking about states rights versus federal rights like they literally they basically had their own like constitution declaration of independence type setup for all the laws of the like ohio territory and they were really strict on stuff like no slavery was allowed like you know there would have and this was late 1700s right so they were very early on the like no slavery thing compared to the rest of america and they like there was there were no cities or towns or anything but they were like we're going to set aside x amount of dollars to like create universities and schools like it, it's pretty wow. cool to like hear that part of it too of how this was like organized at a political level so what's wild you want, is like, sorry go ahead i, I was gonna say if you want to break from the like tough history like great books things this was like a really nice audiobook to listen through yeah i'm definitely going to add it to the list because the other thing that's kind of i'm realizing to your guys's point about uh like it wasn't just a cakewalk West. It was, there were people already there and there were like, you know, disease and fighting and all this. This is only, these are only the stories that made it back. So imagine like the intensity of the stories that did not make it back where like whole groups got wiped out. Like, so in a way you're actually getting the mildest, mild to moderate stories. That's a good point. There's a lot of stories in the book that they only have because like, the you know indians would raid a town or a camp and take everyone captive and then like one guy would get away and run like 20 30 40 miles over a couple of days back to civilization and tell the story (laughs) and it's like okay how many of those stories do we not have because just nobody made it back it's probably true with a lot of history too in general (laughs) a lot yeah probably most of history right yeah it's just lost it's just like these little groups that got wiped out and it's like that's too bad (laughs) it's like there's who would have written it down or or told that story yeah well isn't it the case i might be out of my depth here isn't that the case with carthage like most of what we remember and know of carthage is actually due to roman historians because carthage was so thoroughly destroyed by the romans I think that's, I think so. That sounds familiar. Like that's pretty I'm, wild. Cause I'm, like, if, if that is correct, which we can fact check and put in the notes, like Carthage, were, Carthage was a really impressive civilization for its time. And it was just wiped like completely. Yeah. Well, we, we talked about this with, uh, Epic of Gilgamesh, but especially for that time period, like the medium of record mattered so much in what lasted. Yeah. And it was like, the the Mesopotamians and Babylonians like used clay and like stone tablets and the Phoenicians were using like papyrus type paper. And so we just like don't have nearly as much from them, like simply because of how they wrote stuff down. Right. Like, it, it's kind of wild to think about how some of that stuff changes yeah. history. What are we doing? Right. We're just like ones and zeros. I know. Well, it, whenever I read stuff like that, I'm like, oh, nothing that I'm doing on the computer is real. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's just this imaginary <laughs> video game <laughs> together while like 0.1% of people are doing real work, like raising cattle and drilling oil. <laughs> and we're just playing the silly yeah. video game together because there's yeah. nothing else for us to do with our time. Yeah, it's kind of wild. And then going back to the whole AI conversation, right? Like that's going to be more and more people 
are just going to be like not doing real work, <laughs> including us. Our podcast is going to be AI produced soon. You guys won't even be able to tell the difference. Oh, yeah. You'll be like, why are these guys being I, so focused? I mean, we're not even making... <laughs> <laughs> Return the end if the podcast starts getting like really on topic and organized then people will be like mm, this isn't real yeah. <laughs> well i mean we have enough hours of audio to like i feel like the ai could like learn to even do tangents and stuff Totally. I mean, I was thinking about that. It's like I, I've published so many articles and then doing these podcasts. I feel like I could train a pretty good like writing AI companion. Like I was I was talking to Nathan and Dan about this with Lex, um, the, the writing tool that they've built. And I was like, you know, I would pay a lot more if I could load in uh, training data to customize it to myself. Because like I think the thing that they're probably going to have to deal with is like it's mostly a wrapper on gpt3 right now which sort of anybody can make and so the gpt3 access is going to really quickly become a commodity right like it's not going to be special so how do you make it special and like one of the best ways to do that would definitely be like how how robustly you let somebody tune their like custom relationship with the ai like i have this problem with mid-journey too where i have like certain styles and like aspects I really like, but there's no way to preserve that across multiple interactions with the tool. And so once you can develop a like highly tailored, personalized experience with these AI tools, then it actually would be kind of hard, I think, for somebody else to just copy you or for, I mean, it, it'll, the AI itself will be able to do it better than you eventually, but at least in the near term, Right. It's like, oh, I really like these writers and here's my other writing and I want to be better at like these aspects. Uh, and you can kind of like create this cool thing together. I feel like that's going to be the, the interesting next wave of it. And I'm pretty excited for that one. That feels like that's relative to what's already been accomplished with GPT-3 and Dolly and all of them. Like that feels like the easy part. Maybe I'm totally that, that, wrong, It's a very, I think yeah. it's a pretty small next step forward. Yeah. So... Yeah, I bet we'll that see that. Cool, because then it's sort of like just having a really great. It's like having a really great editor with you all the time. Like that's basically what it is. Then, yeah. I wonder, Nat, how far do you think we are from like, let's say, so obviously you have all these topics you've written about in the past. You have like a massive library, like the ideation phase of like what the next article should be, also feels doable. Right, I've just been like, oh well, Nat has written a lot mm -hmm. about crypto and this and this and this and this and this. So that's going to synthesize into like this is the next article that yeah. needs to be created. So then you can just literally make your blog like on autopilot. <laughs> like it's you, just you like, can already do yeah. Lex. Like, Dan and Nathan have done that a few times, where they like put in a list of things they've written or they're writing about, and then they query it for more article ideas. And it's been coming up mm -hmm. with article ideas for them, and they've been pretty good. I which is totally pretty spooky, that. but uh, so like I'm, I'm I'm writing about this for my blog on Monday, but that'll this podcast will come out after that. Uh, and basically, like the 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 argument I'm making is like the thing that will be hardest for the AI to actually replicate is like true human experience, because like a lot of a lot of like you know I sort of have this theory that there's a very common writing style of like. I'm going to teach you about this thing. Here's this story from history that like exemplifies this thing. 
Now here's the lesson that you get from that story on history. Now here's a tie-in of that story again. Like, thanks for reading. Right? It, it's a very popular model, but it's there's no there's no like person in there. It's just like very like third third person like lecture-y. And that's gonna be super easy for an AI to just like churn out. Uh, and that's like how a lot of business books are written. It's how a lot of like blog posts are written. Uh, it's a very boring style, right? But it's pretty easy to like copy and do. What'll be harder is like the super personal stories of like going through things or like experiencing things or figuring things out. Because even if it can write those, I feel like we will still want to know there was a like fleshy human on the other end of it, right? Like even if the writing is better, it won't feel as good because we it won't make us feel like less alone. Right? Like I think that's most of what we're reading these things for is to know that like, okay, we're not like alone in these feelings or like these fears or emotions or whatever. But like if, if it's just a computer giving it to you, it doesn't like, even if the writing's better, it's not going to do that. It's not going to scratch that same itch. So that, I think that's going to be really hard to replace. But a lot of like pulp content is going to get replaced very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. All the fil- so that would just create more concentration with the best writers, essentially. No, I, I actually think that yeah. writing won't be won't necessarily be the qualifying characteristic. It will be like the the, the like experiences that Yeah, like the personality and also not like the experiences you can have, but also the detail you can draw out of those experiences. Right. It's like this is something that really stands out with like Infinite Jest, you know, is he can create this incredible, probably like 20, 30,000 word chapter of a guy sitting in his room, staring at the phone, waiting for it to ring. Right. And like a lot of the psychosis and stuff that goes into that is such a like personal, observational, like Hmm. very detail oriented. And I think that like going going back to can you can you have something that quality without the person behind it, right? Like I think what makes you know that chapter and other chapters so good is like you know that it's something he felt, like something he experienced, and so it's like okay, how what what can you like feel and experience and then be honest enough to share in your writing? Like that's I think it's going to be one of the only competitive advantages humans will be able to keep over the writing AIs. Maybe, I don't know. Or they'll just get better at that too. No one will care. <laughs> Did you read uh, Nathan's article, the never ending article? No. It's quite good. It's basically his idea is like the, the concept of an article as like a unit that ends, mm-hmm. like a beginning and end, will potentially disappear with tool. Well, he doesn't name Lex because he actually published it, I think, a week before uh, Lex was publicly announced. Um, but instead, the article will continue writing itself as you are reading it based on what you are interested mm. in learning next. And it could just <laughs> drift from topic to topic to topic. And it's super cool. I think we'll throw in the notes. Everyone should read it. That like sold me on because there's an assumption in some of these bits where like a writer or some curator maybe in the future is interacting yeah. with the uh, AI writing tool. And then the AI writing tool is spinning things back. And the curator is saying, okay, this fits my taste or my voice or this topic I want, and then distributes it. But then the curator actually becomes a bottleneck. 
And the interesting thing with Nathan's idea in the never ending article is you just cut out the middleman, no curator, no Google SEO, nothing. It's just you directly interacting with this thing that knows your taste and knows what you're interested in learning more about. Yeah. I I think we're surprisingly close to that, especially for news, right? Like that, that seems like it would be the easiest starting place is like one news and then two, the kind of like bite-sized nonfiction book genre would be up there, right? Like, uh, what's the one that's like Blinkist? Mm. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, sl- slightly worse than listening to an audiobook, but it's up there. Uh, <laughs> where it's like, you know, like it, it seems like it'd be very trivial for an AI to just do Blinkist summaries of popular nonfiction books and then feed them to you in a like, animated TikTok style format. So you feel like you're learning stuff while getting entertained, right? It's like, uh, th- this is like the ultimate, you know, entrepreneur self-improvement, like wet dream is just like a hot girl dancing in front of Blinkist nonfiction book summaries for hours and hours. And <laughs> but this would actually like potentially, I mean, it would be so much better than Blinkist because you could say, I want to go deeper on this part of the book. And then yeah, just yeah, automatically be like, great. Well, here's some more about that, and you can actually go deeper and deeper and deeper if you were so inclined. Uh, yeah, be like tell me more about this topic, and then yeah. It- wow, actually, can you? I'd be curious if you can qu- query Lex later and be like, hey, give me a you know, ten paragraph summary of some book and just see if it how it compares to Blinkist. I can I can try it right now. What name? name or of the book? Odyssey. The Odyssey. Uh, all right. Okay, give me a summary of the Odyssey by Homer. The Odyssey is an epic poem written by Homer in the 8th century BC. It tells the story of the 10-year journey home of the Greek hero Odysseus after the Trojan War. On his return, he must overcome the challenges posed by the vengeful sea god Poseidon, as well as the many obstacles placed in his way by the goddess Athena. The poem is written in 24 books and follows a complex narrative structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Odyssey has been praised for its poetic style as well as for its depiction of heroic and human qualities. It's considered to be one of the most important works of ancient Greek literature and has been translated into many languages. Now we're getting into the like, it's not telling you the story anymore. It's yeah. just like Sounds regurgitating. Like uh, yeah, or like high school um, <laughs> high school paper that has like a set word count. You know? <laughs> mm, that uh, needs yeah. to hit it, yeah. Well, there's there's ways you can like try to push it in the direction of where, what info you wanted to give you. So I just typed in the Odyssey Odysseus and then, uh, okay, now it's, huh, now it's just repeating itself. Okay. Wow. Not, uh, not the demo we wanted. All right. We have jobs for another year, guys. Blinkus lives to see another day. Yeah. Blinkus lives another day. Well, a job longer than me, at least he can like design and shit. I can just feed that into AIs now. That's all. That's all I have left. <laughs> <laughs> it's exciting though it's exciting and it scary it is exciting I'm excited about it uh-uh. alright should we wrap up yeah let's do it okay uh, let's see next up Tate Ching oh go ahead make sure you, you say? I was going to say make sure you leave a review Spotify for some reason seems to be where people are listening to our podcast more and more which is fine. Keep listening, but just review it there. Yeah. So we start showing up in some uh, of their lists. Cause that would be cool. Um, apparently it helps. They, they'll throw you into some like 
anecdotally, I heard from somebody who's put in a list and like they got like 10 times the number of listens for one of their episodes. It's just like what happened. And it was just a Spotify list triggered by a bunch of reviews and stuff. So those things do make a difference. Um, Obviously post about it. Keep sending Adila and I nice messages. Nat doesn't get any messages. So nobody ever sends me nice messages. It's okay. Yeah. People don't like my jokes. Like he's not serious. (laughs) He's the comedic relief. (laughs) He is. (laughs) That's the next career. (laughs) Successful out there to stand up -up comedy. comedy. Yep. I can't wait for Nat's Rogan interview. <laughs> <laughs> that would be fun. That would be dope. Oh, we, don't, we don't need to do one. We can just do a podcast.ai one. And then, yeah. Like, that would be, <laughs> be a funny, like, unconventional PR strategy. Yep. Is like you, you put out, like, oh, you know, make sure you, like, catch my unreleased interview with Joe Rogan, like, leak it as if you got the audio early. And then there's like, you know, a media buzz. And he's like, no, like this didn't happen. And I'm like, it sounds like it happened. You know? <laughs> That's <laughs> like brilliant. A, a good like Ryan Holiday, Tucker Max marketing thing. Like, somebody's got to do, do that. that. You should do that for your book. No, I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. Actually, I mean, well, it, it would be kind of funny to like do a podcast of all like AI interviews like that, where it's like, oh, and here I am on the Tonight Show with Jimmy Kimmel, right? <laughs> And like, oh, and you know, like Ryan Reynolds joined, and so yeah. <laughs> like you could do that, right? Somebody that should be very that. entertaining. Someone's idea. gonna do that. Yeah, yeah. What? Someone's gonna do it. You know what would be cool if if it got powerful enough that we could have like okay. Homer on the podcast. <laughs> if we could have Homer on the podcast, that would be cool. Interesting. <laughs> For I an odyssey, think like, of his personality to use his training data, though, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So it'd be for more modern writers. Plato, though, probably. Yeah, yeah. I think you could probably have Plato. You could probably have. Be kind of interesting. You could have like Yahweh, right? Like, is there enough <laughs> in the Old Testament that you could like? <laughs> like, what did you mean by like this? <laughs> or you could definitely have like Moses, right? Like that'd be kind yeah. of. Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> This is going to be cool. Like it's, it's going to be a shrinky world, but it's going to be kind of interesting. <laughs> kind of. It's going to be it's going to yeah. be wild. All right, on that yeah, happy e- note. Even before they're <laughs> limited, automated. Uh yeah. Well, we'll just let's just end. We're having <laughs> When did we last had, like, had, like 40 minutes ago? <laughs> yeah, we've been talking about AI. Honestly, for like though, an hour. this <laughs> right? Like we we could have just taken the straight route through explaining the story, but no, 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 no. We like meandered and like right now we're on Calypso's Island just fucking around. So I think we can just end it here. <laughs> we got to give this one a good title, like AI audiobooks and the Odyssey or something like that. Just, yeah. Like, yeah. just really. <laughs> so the Odyssey. <laughs> yeah, the Odyssey was like a third of the episode. Already. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's fine. <clears throat> All right. Like and subscribe. Okay. Like and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Say hi. Uh, call your parents. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Talk to you guys next week. All right. Next time. <laughs>